to tremble at the light that you bring when you walk into the room. Every heart starts burning, and nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. St. Michael's, we stand. Lord, we are just so grateful to be in your presence this morning. 
know that from you comes freedom. From you comes victory. And we're here to celebrate that with you this morning. In Jesus' name.
was on Sunday this year, and it's a real opportunity for us to, uh, in the presence in the house of the Lord, to thank him for the Christian nation he gave us. And as we desperately pray that he turn it back to the uh, founding fathers' wishes and desires, it's, uh, it's a real task, but God can do whatever he wants to do. And so we... Uh, Stand in faith, believing for that. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen said the first commandment is this hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength the second is this love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these and as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of christ's love let us acknowledge our sins and ask the lord for pardon and strength please kneel Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. Solution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
Lord be with you. Let us pray together the collect. O God, you have taught us to keep all your commandments by loving you and our neighbor. Grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart and united to one another with pure affection. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. If the children will come forward, we're looking for those kids third grade and younger. Well, we thank you for these children. Thank you, Lord. These little people you've given, Lord, to us to raise in the ways of God. Lord, we just bless them as they go about learning all about you, all Amen. the facets of who you are. Lord, just touch their lives and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you guys. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed king over Israel. David, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. And Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. The word of the Lord. This this morning's psalm is Psalm 48. And we'll read responding by the asterisk. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth. God is in her palaces. For behold, the kings assembled. They saw it, and so they marveled. 
Fear took hold of them, and pain, as of a woman in birth pangs. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God we have thought, O oh God, on your loving kindness. According to your name, O oh God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of let Mount Zion rejoice, let the daughters of Judah be glad. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces. For this is God, our God, forever and ever. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it is now and will be forever. Amen. This morning's second lesson comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, beginning in verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Mark, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, 
that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, O Lord Christ. You may be seated. We'll open with a word of prayer. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The readings were really good this morning, and it's not what I'm going to be talking about today because we're in the middle of a sermon about David. So I just have to say a couple things, though. I couldn't pass them up. First of all, in the New Testament reading, what does he say? I most gladly rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We should all be really encouraged. (laughs) I know I am because I can count all my infirmities, all the ways that I don't measure up. And yet that's the point of the gospel is that it's no longer about you. It's about Christ within you. So as we talk through our sermon today, I just want you to keep that nugget in the back of your head. If there's ever a place that's convicting, if there's a place that's encouraging, remember Christ himself empowers you to do the things he's called you to do. Each of you have been called into his kingdom for a purpose, and he will give you that. Like Paul says, even in the midst of his infirmities, God's answer to him, as he was begging God to take away this painful circumstance, we don't know what it was, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. So hold on to that as we move forward. And I had to mention the gospel, because this has been a thought that I've had for some time. Jesus talks about a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown. And by no means am I calling myself a prophet, but I just want to say that the way that this church has loved me, the little punk Jesse who used to run around and cause problems all over the place, is nothing short of remarkable. Because you guys have loved me well, you've accepted me, you've listened to me, that kid trying to teach you what I think God's saying. And so I just wanted to stop and say I am so grateful to be at St. Michael's. There's no place, I say that again, no place like St. Michael's, and I'm so privileged that you guys have accepted me to be a part of that. So thank you. Now let's talk about David. Let's get back to what we were talking about last week. Last week we talked about how David was called to be king over Israel, which is like phenomenal, right? In his day, that was the highest calling that you could imagine within the people of Israel, You'd either be his prophet or his king. One of those would be like the pinnacle, right? And David, the little shepherd boy, the youngest of these really excellent men that Samuel was thinking, man, God's got to be picking these people. No, it was the youngest, the shepherd. 
that God picked to rule over Israel. And then he sent them back to the sheep because, you know, you still got to muck the sheep pastures. You still got to guide the sheep. God was still doing something in David, and he had to hold on to this revelation that he'd been given. You are called to be king over Israel even when it didn't look like it looked like that was farthest from the truth. When he was still the runt of the family, the, the kid who got sent to the pastures. And then, of course, he gets his opportunity when he goes to deliver food to his brothers and he hears this uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, bellowing a challenge to the people of Israel. I'll kill any one of you. Send out your champion. And then we'll take you guys as slaves after I feed him to the birds. And David, this little shepherd boy, hears that. But something that God had been doing in his heart, in the pastures, in the, as a shepherd, rises up and he gets the revelation that, no, I'm a part of the army of the living God. And so I don't have to be afraid of what this Philistine is saying. And if you see on the screens, we have this picture. And last week, I actually forgot to tell you why I wanted that picture up the entire sermon. So we'd have a verse and it'd go back to that picture of David cutting off the head of Goliath. And the reason that I wanted that and I asked for that and I set it up that way is because we, in the midst of our pastures, in the midst of our difficulties, have to hold on to the promises of the destiny and calling of God. That David was anointed king, and because he trusted that word, God's favor was upon him, and God was able to train him to be a giant slayer. That because David held on to the fact that I've been called for a purpose— that that reality, that revelation that he held on to allowed him to kill the lions and the bears that trained him to then kill Goliath. And so I wanted that up the whole time because David had to keep in mind that he had a great destiny in order to become the, the one who actually slayed Goliath. And each one of you has a destiny like that. You don't know what the picture is going to look like. But there's going to be moments in your life where you stand up and you conquer a giant that saves your family. A giant that saves your church. A giant that saves that person who needed the love of Christ in that one moment. And it's probably not going to be a six foot nine or however tall he was, 300 pound gorilla, right? It's probably not. But it might be. But it's probably not. So you need to keep in mind that God has called you to a great destiny, even when he's training you to be a shepherd. Even when it doesn't feel like what you're doing matches the calling of God in your life. And now I'm going to leave that picture up for the rest of this sermon. Because you know what? When you do have those moments where you slay a Goliath in your life, you need to hold on to the reality that God was able to do that mighty work in you and through you and for you. And so when we go into the next stage of David's life, there's probably no other stage in David's life where this was more important that he remembered, yes, but God helped me, the shepherd boy, to slay Goliath. He needs to hold on to that truth because it's going to get really hard for David in the days and years ahead after he slayed Goliath. So we're going to launch in there. That's what we're going to start with. But I just want you to remember there are things God has done in your life that he wants you to stand on and say, God, I know you've moved in my life. I trust you to do it again. So what is the result of David killing Goliath? This great moment, one of the best stories of all time. Well, let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3. Then Jonathan, who's the son of the king, the prince, the, one, the heir of the entire kingdom, 
made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So lest this story lulls you into a false sense of complacency, this is what happens after he kills Goliath, and it seems like he's on the path. It seems like God's promoting him, right? Everything he does is prospering. The king's own son gives him his robe, his sword, his symbol of authority, basically telling David, I love you so much, I want you to be king instead of me. And later he makes that explicit. He says, I will serve you because God has anointed you king over Israel. And then Saul, the reigning king at the time, puts David over the armies. He's on the promotion path. He's on the career ladder. He's ready to go. He's standing on that success, and he is not only that, it says, and he was successful wherever Saul sent him. Now, I would argue it's because David had a good heart about it. He knew it was God and not himself, and so God prospered him in that place. But the story takes an unexpected turn, or maybe if you know how people are, an expected turn, right? Because what happens when you have the young, up-and-coming, anointed one who is out conquering the armies? Well, Saul gets scared. Basically, Jonathan's just said, I've handed over my inheritance to David. He's saying that, and he makes it explicit because Jonathan is the one that we want to emulate in this story. He's the one who saw what God was doing and said, I want to be a part of that. Jonathan was the one that said, I want to be with God's anointed. I don't care if I'm the king, right? And then Saul, we see, is the anti-Jonathan. He's complete opposite. We'll go on to 1 Samuel 18.6. These are the women of Israel are seeing the armies march back into town. And they sang to one another as they said, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So what happens? Jonathan sees David, sees the anointing of God on him, and he's willing to give up his inheritance to follow God's purposes for Israel. Saul discerns that David's on the rise, that he's going to become, what, what's next for him? He's going to be king. And he, resu- he reacts with fear and jealousy and anger. That should be a warning to us because you know if you've read this story, Saul is the villain in this story. And so Saul starts devising ways to kill David, to set himself against the purposes of God. What, one trick that he tries to play is he's like, you know, I promised that you could marry my daughter, Michael, Right? And I would, I'll do that for you, but you know, like, you need to prove yourself as if he hasn't already. Why don't you go out there and you kill a hundred Philistines? And for your information, he wants them to bring back proof. Uh, namely, something we don't want to maybe talk about from the pulpit, but it's in the scripture. He wants them to bring back a hundred foreskins. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents. Um, but either way, he wants to bring back proof. And it's really interesting, though, the symbolism, because what were we talking about last week? We were talking about those uncircumcised Philistines. 
So there's actually a spiritual significance to what he's talking about, right? He's going out and conquering the army, the army of the Philistines for the purposes of God. And I don't want to go down that road too much further. But the point is, David brings back 200. Saul says, oh, he's going to die because I told him to go kill 100 Philistines. And he has to kill enough that he has access to their bodies to get proof, right? Which... You can imagine it's probably difficult when people are shooting arrows at you and trying to cut, kill you. And yet David manages this feat, and he gets 200 Philistines, right? And he comes back, and he shows Saul the proof, and Saul gets even angrier. And this is the pattern that David enters into from that day forward. Every success that David has, every place that God blesses him, turns Saul's heart in greater and greater resentment. Now, what happens with Saul basically, is that he knows he's losing the kingdom according to God's will. God's already told him that. But instead of trying to get behind God's will, instead of trying to submit to God's will, he's fighting it every step of the way. Don't be Saul. Here's a quote that that reminded me of from C.S. Lewis. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Now, I've mentioned that quote before, and I think it's really key because it gets to the center of our heart. It's like we might know that God is good and that his plans for us are good. We're just wondering how much it's going to hurt to get there. You could have told this story a completely different way if Saul had submitted to what God had said. If Saul had learned his lesson and said, God, how can I get behind your purposes? I know I've lost the kingdom, but how can I serve you? Imagine that Saul, who gets to support the new king, who gets to be an honored advisor to the end of his days. We know David's heart towards Saul. We'll actually find it out in our next story this morning. But Saul instead digs in and fights to defend what he thinks of as his own. And I say it particularly that way because I think we fall into that trap a lot. God blesses us abundantly. He gives us the thing that we needed. And then when he wants to take it away, we don't trust him. Then when there's that thing goes away, for whatever reason, by faults of our own or by nothing that we can blame, we're right back to the place where we don't trust him. As if he couldn't provide it again. As if he doesn't have enough through the abundance of his riches and glory to give you everything you need. He gives us this big thing, we celebrate him, and then when that thing goes away, we're like, God, where are you? I'm asking you today to trust him, trust him again, even if that thing that God provided for you goes away, whatever that is, trust him. He is a good God. It might be painful, but we're promised that he uses it for our good and our benefit. And it just, it almost makes me weep to think about this guy, Saul, who it says earlier, David loved, who instead of turning and saying, okay, God, what can I do? He instead tries to murder God's anointed. And then there's this little phrase that kind of repeats throughout the story. 1 Samuel 18:14. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. That's the promise I want for my life. I'm going to start praying that for my kids, that they would have success in all their undertakings, but not just success. I want them to have success in all their undertakings because the Lord is with them. I've seen success outside of the Lord, and it leads to destruction. I will tell you that straight out. I've seen people who the more successful they are, the more destruction they bring in their life because they don't know to look to the Lord to provide. And so 
in the midst of this, as I said, it's like this fight between David's success and Saul's jealousy. And they both are rising at the same time. And finally, Saul just loses it. He's like, I'm killing him. He's not playing tricks anymore. He's going after him and he's telling people. So David gets a warning and he goes into hiding. In 1 Samuel 22, beginning in verse 1, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Now, there's an interesting thing here, right? Because we say we're looking for the least, the lost, the lonely. What we're really looking for is we're looking for those who are hungry enough to want God's way and not their own way, right? And so when David, the called, the anointed of God, flees the presence of Saul, who comes to him? The people who are hungry enough to admit that they need God. Now, these are ruffians, and so I don't want to read too much into this. It's not like they had these noble hearts that led them. They were, they were hiding from the law, and they figured if this guy's hiding from the law, he might be able to save our lives. But I'm saying when you put up your banner and you say, we have freedom here, we have healing here, don't be surprised if the people in distress, people in debt, and people who are bitter in soul show up at your door. And because David led these men, many of them became the mighty men of David who ended up being foundational in his further authority and government, the, the legendary mighty men of David. So the point I'm trying to make is that when you set up your shop and say, I'm for the kingdom of God, you don't get to pick which people show up. God did the same thing. Jesus did the same thing. He had a tax collector as one of his best followers, right? The hated tax collectors. It'd be like, well, never mind. I won't go there. It'd be like if people we don't like walked in the door. That is what God did, and that's how God moves. So we are only called to love and lead those who come to us looking for God. And then they say this, and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give them into his hands. And so when Saul seeks David, God is the one who deflects. So I think there's this place where we start building up and counting the cost as we're in the battle. We start looking, but this person's after me or this thing, and how could I overcome this? But the reality is, even if the king of Israel is after you, with all his men, his finest warriors, God did not let Saul catch David. Okay, we're going to go on to a story in this battle is happening over the course of years where David's in hiding, in exile. He's, it's just an awful position that David's in. And yet one day along comes Saul right into his hands. And that's in 1 Samuel 24, verse 2. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do with him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. 
And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men and with these words did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went his way. That's such a fascinating story. It's humbling. Basically, you have this situation where this guy who's been consistently trying to kill David in any way possible is sitting there and he is distracted enough that David's able to sneak up behind him and he could easily kill him. And everybody around him, his men that he's grown close with, are like, this is what God wants you to do, obviously. Only God could have arranged for this to happen. Man, it would be tempting. It would be tempting. And it's not like David's afraid to kill someone. There's no pacifism in him. He's willing to do what he must. But his wisdom and discernment says, no, I'm not going to do these things. His heart struck him. So what's that about? Well, we had this series last year called the Discernment Toolbox. And one of the tools we talked about was your compass. And that is you have oriented your life in such a way that you can tell what's good and what's wrong. That when he saw this moment, he was so willing to do what God wanted to do. And he'd been following God for so long that he knew there's something wrong about this. Even though on paper, it looks so true. If the story had gone and Saul was relieving himself and the men said, this is what the Lord said. And David cut off Saul's head and he became king of Israel. If we were reading that story, most of us would be like, yeah, that sounds right. But something in David's heart was so committed to what God wanted to do that even his deepest desire, his desire for freedom, his desire to walk into his destiny, he was willing and able to hear the Holy Spirit say, not now, not now. Timing, discernment, but it took practice. It wasn't like he was just a magician. Any of us, we have the Holy Spirit within us. We can all hear God that way, but it takes practice. How many times before that do you think David decided to listen to the Holy Spirit instead of what he wanted to do over and over again so that when the real test came, he was able to hear what God wanted to say? And not only that, but David tells Saul why he didn't do it. He says, because out of the wicked comes wickedness. He says, the fruit of what I would have done would have been to kill God's anointing but kill God's anointed king. And I know that that would come from a wicked heart. Even though it seemed like the right thing to do, he had the discernment to know. So if you find yourself doing something for the greater good that you know as wickedness, don't pretend that you don't become wicked by doing it. Out of wicked comes wickedness, right? The ends don't justify the means. And he heard the Lord And then, you know, he says this thing while he's talking to Saul. He says, may the Lord avenge you for my sake. And you know what happens? A few years later, Saul and all of his household are killed by the Philistines. He waited on the Lord and his timing. Not because he was afraid to get his sword dirty, man. He cut off Goliath's head. We keep looking at this picture. But because he knew it wasn't God's will. And so he waited on the Lord because God wasn't looking for a man who could kill Saul and become king by the power of his uh, prowess. He was looking for a man who could listen to him, who had a heart that was about what God wanted. If you look at this story and the stories I'm telling this morning, it's all about Jonathan sees God's anointing is going with David. I'd rather do what God wants to do than be king over Israel. 
And then you see Saul who sees God's anointing going after David. I'd rather do what I want to do than follow God's anointing. Two very different hearts. And ultimately, David is the best picture. That's why we say he's a man after God's own heart. He's a man who sought God's will in every situation. And when he was confronted with the truth, as we'll see over and over again, he made the right choice. He passed the test. And I'll tell you, he passed that test with Saul, and God gave him another opportunity. And you know what? I bet you it was just as hard the second time. Looking at Saul, more death had happened. He, there's all these stories that happen throughout this where Saul is hunting people down, killing them. He kills the priest of the Lord. He kills women and children. He's just an abysmal king, a tyrant. He deserves to die. But when he looked on Saul again, God said no. And he didn't kill him again. Once again, he follows the will of God. He passes the test. And even as he passes all these tests, it's still years before God vindicates him. He still has to hold on because God didn't just want a king who could listen to him. He wanted a king who would always listen to him. And so he would work and work until finally David's at the place where he can be the shepherd of Israel, the greatest king Israel has ever known. To this day, we still talk about him. Everybody knows who David is because he still was looking for what does God want to do in this situation? What if every day you are auditioning for your kingdom? What if every day you are being trained to inherit your destiny. What if every day God is looking to give you his promises right on the other side of the test? It's not because God is a jealous God or he doesn't want to give you the blessings. It's because he knows that if he had made king, if he had made David king right after he killed Goliath, when all the public, everything was for him, that he would have been a corrupt king. That's my guess. It's my guess of the situation is that if David had gone right from killing Goliath into being king over Israel, if he had gone on the easy path, that he wouldn't have been humble enough to look to God. Because at some point along the way, he would have figured, well, it must be me. It must be what I'm doing. I must know what I'm doing because, you know, I'm the one who killed Goliath. I'm the one who won all the battles. I'm the one who slayed my tens of thousands. But instead, God led him on the path least trodden. He led him down the path of pain. There's this great scene from Lord of the Rings, you know, where Saruman's talking to Gandalf and they're fighting. And Saruman's saying, come, join me. I've got all the power. Sauron's on my side. Nobody stands a chance. Let's do it together. We can be so powerful. And Gandalf says no. And then Saruman says this great, I mean, it's just the best voice, Christopher Lee, you know. So you have chosen the way of pain. And that's kind of true, right? That's what we do. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Be willing to go through the suffering and trust that God is using it to make you who he's called you to be. Because you know what? It's the same thing that Jesus says. What profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? What's the point if you don't have your soul? It's all about your heart. I will tell you, God cares about America. God cares about the government of America. In the same way that God took all this time to set up David to be king over Israel, and he allowed all of this suffering to happen so that he could bring Israel to a place where they had a king who followed him, God cares about the United States of America because you know what happens when you have a corrupt government? His people are persecuted. They die. 
And we are so blessed to be in the freest country in the world. And God is going to deal with the problems within America. The question is, do you have the discernment on this Independence Day, 4th of July? Do you have the discernment to know what's your part? What's your part? Now, it doesn't mean that Mary Patrick needs to be a senator. It doesn't mean that I need to go be a city council member. It doesn't mean anything about you've got to be in politics, but it does mean are you going to stand up for truth when nobody else is? Are you going to raise your kids? Are you going to make the sacrifice to send your kids to private school so that they don't get corrupted by the evils in the public school system? Just throwing some ideas out there. Everybody has to make that discernment choice for themselves. But I promise you that there is something that you need to do. There is something that you need to do that will either make America a better place or a worse place to live. That will either make this church stronger or weaker. That will either make your family stronger or weaker. And the question is not about what you do, because even David, right, what did he do? He didn't take the shot. He didn't kill Saul. It's not about what you do in that moment. It's about are you listening to what God wants you to do? Ultimately, I want to be what God wants me to be. Even if that means that I have to be a shepherd for 15 years before I become a king. Even if that means that I get, I have to be the rogue that has to live in caves. I mean, it's not comfortable, guys. David had a hell of a time after he was anointed king by Samuel way back when, getting to the kingdom. And you know what? When he became king, it didn't get any easier. His life didn't get any easier. We'll see that next week. Just reminds me of that verse that's repeated in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I have set before you this day a choice between life and death. Choose life. Trust God. He wants you to be living the abundant life. Won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Amen? Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. That we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. That your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacrament. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. Almighty and eternal God, ruler of all things in heaven and earth, mercifully accept the prayers of your people and strengthen us to do your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you.
it's an American tradition. You know, <coughs> I was watching uh, the news. You may or may not know, but uh, I get up every morning and uh, do the office of prayer, and then I watch Varney on Fox. And uh, anyway, on Thursday and Friday, they were checking around the country, seeing what people are doing in preparation for Fourth of July. And about they had about four spots on uh, fireworks. Of course, none of them in California. <laughs> especially Orange County, is they're illegal. <laughs> we don't want you to get hurt or burn us down, I guess. But I'll tell you what, it was, I saw some really great giant boxes of them. Pennsylvania. See, Pennsylvania. They didn't lose their spirit. And uh, it's going to be a true American holiday. But with or without fireworks, you guys have an amazing Fourth of July. Weekend, July 10th, Saturday, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., we're having a free car wash and bake sale, donations accepted for the youth retreat that's coming up. So come and get your car cleaned and uh, see our youth out there. And if you have youth who want to sign up for the youth retreat, please see me or Kristen uh, or Christian as well. But Kristen and Christian, you know, both of them, same name but a little different. All right? Awesome. The Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. and It's made ready for those who love him, those who want to love him even more. So come if you have much faith, come if you have little. Come if you've been here often or if you haven't been here long at all. If you tried to follow, if you failed, come. It's the Lord who invites you. It's his will that those who want him should meet him right here. So come this morning to the Eucharist. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. So everywhere we proclaim your mighty works for you, call us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory. We join in their unending hymn of praise.
Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, a death he freely accepted. He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later, when supper was ended, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant to shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ is died. Christ Christ is risen. risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch Craig and all of our clergy. Remember those who were sick and firm in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up Connie and Susan and Carl, Serena and Naomi and Nadia and Kyle and Sonja, Maria, Sandra, Karen, Tammy and Kyla, Kevin and Jean and Sandra, Mark and Diane, Raul, Mario, Patrick, our Marines and Sailors at Camp Pendleton. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the martyrs and the apostles, all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours. Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them for remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb body of Christ, cup of my salvation, the blood of the Lord.
Trust you.
Thanksgiving, we pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Your brother wants you. Yelling around or He's waving at the babies. The baby. <laughs> okay. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always. Amen. Spirit. Thanks be to God.